Welcome back all my trekking true crime fans. <clears throat> I'm so thrilled that you decided to join us today. Today we've got a special guest with us, my hubby Larry. Hello, hello, hello. So we are doing kind of an early Halloween themed episode today. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know us, I'm your host Angela Baum. This is my hubby Love Lovey. Oh my goodness, Larry. <laughs> you call me Lovey, I don't mind it. Oh my gosh, that's gonna be that's gonna be my new nickname for you. Hey, lovey. Hey, lovey, lovey. Instead of Larry. Oh my goodness, we're we're recording this early in the morning, still uh, waking up and trying to get our coffee in. <laughs> Took my first couple sips. Yes, me too. I'm wide awake now. <laughs> <laughs> and we gotta get ready to drive for the day. Oh, so those of you who may just be joining us, we are full time truck drivers. Um, I created this podcast because I put my two loves together, trekking and true crime, and created this podcast known as Trekking True Crime Podcast. Before we get on with today's case, if you would please give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to our podcast at. Also, please be sure to visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Just search Trekking True Crime Podcast. So you ready to get on with the show today? Let's rock and roll, baby doll. All right. So we figured with Halloween right around the corner, I figured that this case would be a really good one to share with you guys because it's a really unusual case of a truck driver who went missing under some very unusual circumstances. <laughs> but what's even weirder about this story is that the true facts of what happened to this truck driver over the weekend that he went missing. So the truck driver's name is Devin Williams and this strange case takes place place back in 1985. It was one of the busiest weekends of Memorial Day. And we have to remember that back in 1985, people still didn't have cell phones. And the ones that did have cell phones were the ones that could afford them because they had money and they were rich. So cell phones were definitely a thing of the past. Do you, were you a trucker in a the 80s? The future. Yeah. Oh yeah. The future. Yes. When did you get into trekking? You didn't get into trekking oh, until the nineties? Five. Oh, five. Did you have a cell phone back then or did you have to use? Yes. Yeah. So back in 1985, truck drivers, if they had to communicate with someone like their trucking company or their shipping or receivers would have to use a payphone to communicate. So that's really important when we get to talking about this case. So again, it was 1995 and it was Memorial Day weekend. And so our story takes place on a Saturday night in Kingman, Arizona, which you and I are super familiar with. Super familiar. Yes. Where truck driver Devin had just pulled over for the night and he was extremely exhausted because he had a very, very long week. You know that feeling. Yes. And this reminded me of you because um, now normally Devin's routine, he had a nightly routine where he would go and grab his toiletry bag from his sleeper berth, head into the truck stop, go brush his teeth, grab a bite to eat, and then go back to bed. Well, on this particular night, Devin could not sleep. He went in, he did his normal routine, took his toiletry bag in, brushed his teeth, cleaned up, had some dinner, and then he had a really hard time sleeping. So, <clears throat> by the time um, he got back to his truck, he went and he went over to the passenger seat of his truck because that's where he always kept his sleeping bag. So Devin grabbed his sleeping bag and then headed to the back of his sleeper berth of his cab so that he could lay down and get some sleep before he had to head out in the morning. But as Devin laid there, he found out that for whatever reason, he was having a really hard time going to sleep. He was exhausted, 
but he just laid there for hours, just tossing and turning and not able to fall asleep, which that reminded me of you because you have the hardest time sleeping on the truck. Yeah. So he's a solo driver. Especially if I'm overtired. Yes. And I think that was the problem with Devin. I think he was overtired because they had said that he had a super stressful week and he was just beyond tired. And his mind wouldn't shut down. Yes. His mind, exactly. His mind wouldn't shut down. So here he was completely exhausted and he laid there tossing and turning. He couldn't fall asleep. So after about an hour of this, Devin was just frustrated and pissed off and he sat up in bed and he just figured that he had had a super long week and he was feeling very sleep deprived. But for whatever reason, he was un unable to fall asleep. On top of all this, Devin just really wanted to get home to his wife and kids. It had been a really long week and he was really, really missing his family. He was currently hauling a load of strawberries and lettuce in his refrigerated trailer that was due to be in Kansas City, Missouri on Monday, which was still 1,300 miles away from where he was at in Kingman, Arizona. Being a truck driver, we're always limited on how many hours we can drive in one shift, and especially the fact that he was a solo truck driver. That's important, too. Yes. So, <clears throat> Devin was doing the math in his head, and he knew that if he did not get a good night's sleep tonight, that he was going to have to take an additional break over the weekend that he had not planned on taking in order for him to make his delivery time on Monday. So that meant it was going to take him longer to get home to see his family, and they had been waiting to see him all week long. So he was not in a good mood. Not a happy camper. No. So see, Delvin was married to his high school sweetheart, whose name was Mary Lou, and the two of them had had three children together. They had just made a huge purchase together of their dream home. Now, this was not your typical dream home yet. This was a fixer-upper, but the two of them had planned on fixing up this home over time to turn into the home of their dreams for their little family. So with all these stresses that were upon Devin's shoulders of the finances and having to repair his home, wanting to get home so he could see his three kids and his wife, he simply found himself unable to sleep. So at this point, Devin is just livid and he's frustrated. And so he decides to head into the truck stop to go to the bathroom, unwind a little bit and grab a bite to eat. Now we have to remember at this time, like we had said earlier, that this is way before cell phones were popular or even affordable. So Devin made all of his phone calls while he was inside the truck stop on a payphone. So he wound up calling his boss, whose name was Tom. And he explained to his boss that he was exhausted and he was unable to sleep. So now that he had cleaned up and had a bite to eat and was wide awake, he was going to go ahead, hop back on the highway and continue driving towards his destination of his delivery on Monday. And even though <clears throat> he now knew that he was going to have to make an extra stop to get a break in, he still planned on making his delivery in Kansas City on Monday on time with his load of strawberries and lettuce. So you can maybe explain better than I can, Larry, for those people who may not be understand, understanding of our hours, but as a solo truck driver, so he had to go from Kingman, Arizona to deliver in Kansas City, Missouri, and we only have a certain amount of hours that we can drive throughout a day. 11 hours. Yes. <clears throat> then we have to stop for 10. So if he drove his 11 hours, then legally he has to stop for 10 hours in order to get what's considered a rest break in before he can start driving again. So Correct. that was a problem. <clears throat> so Devin spoke to his boss, whose name was Tom Wilson. 
Devin hopped back inside of his semi-truck and he began heading east towards Kansas. Now, in a later interview that I saw with his boss, Tom Wilson, his boss said that there was really nothing unusual about the conversation that the two of them had that Saturday night. It was a typical conversation that they'd had many times in the past, and nothing in Devin's tone or his demeanor set off any type of alarm bells to Tom, letting him know that something wasn't right with Delvin on that Saturday. Tom even went on to tell the media that out of all of his employees that he had at his company, that Delvin was one of his most reliable and most dependable drivers that he had. That Devin said that he was going to make his delivery time on Monday morning, that Tom was sure that Devin was going to make it. That's how reliable and how dependable that Devin was as an employee. And we should also mention that this load of strawberries and lettuce that Devin was taking, this was a route that Devin had taken several, several times over the years. So he was familiar with the route. He was familiar with the company that he was going to be delivering with, and they were familiar with him. But come that time on Monday morning when Devin was supposed to be at that distribution center to make his delivery, um, he called the distribution call the distribution center called Tom and they said, "Hey, Devin hasn't shown up for his delivery. Have you heard from him?" And because he had not shown up that morning for a scheduled appointment to help offload the strawberries and lettuce, it started to sound off some alarm bells. Now, why this is so unusual is that this was a normal Monday morning scheduled appointment that Devin had done several times over the year. Devin had developed a reputation as a truck driver who was not only dependable, but he was always on time and usually he was early to his scheduled appointments. So when he wasn't there on time, this set off like alarm bells for the distributor. They're just like, or for the receiver. There's like, wait a second. This is not like him. Something is definitely wrong. Absolutely. So that was the first red flag that came up for his, for his family, friends, and employees. Now, again, we want to remind you this is back in 1995, and we have to remember that back then a cell phone was something that only people who had money or were affluent had. A normal, everyday blue-collar worker like Devin certainly would not have been able to afford a cell phone, so his only way of communication would have been by stopping at a truck stop in order to use a payphone. So the entire day on Monday, Tom, Devin's boss, literally waited to hear from him. He, he said that he hardly left his desk the entire day because he was so concerned and it was so unlike Devin not to show up. There was really nothing that Tom could do until he heard from Devin. He didn't know what the situation was. So it wasn't until later on that night when Mary Lou called, which was Devin's wife, and said, hey, Tom... Devin was supposed to be home. He hasn't shown up at home. Now that's when the real alarm flags went off because Tom's like, okay, he didn't show up to drop off his load of strawberries and lettuce this morning. And he's very, very dependable. Now he didn't make it home to his three kids and his wife. And Tom knew how much his family meant to Devin. So this is like sending off huge alarm flags to him. So... Now Tom was really worried. Not only had Devin not unloaded his delivery, but he also never made it home to his family. And Tom knew how much Devin looked forward to going home to see his three kids and Mary Lou. So Mary Lou, having that instinct that a lot of us women knew, do, knew that this was not like her husband. He was a hardworking man, and he would not go this long without communicating with someone, whether it was a co-worker, his boss, or his wife, Mary Lou. So she knew that something was wrong. So now Mary Lou 
um, decided that she had to call the police. Now, Mary Lou and Devin, they lived in a tiny little town called America's Kansas. And Mary Lou knew that she had to reach out to the local police department in order to file a missing persons report. So the police showed up out at Mary Lou and Devin's house. They took down all the information about Devin. They wanted to take down his physical description, if he was on any type of medication, if he had any mental health issues or physical issues. They also wanted the description of his truck, if she knew any information like his VIN number, his truck number, and also if she knew what route he was taking from Kingman, Arizona to get back to Kansas so they could try to track and see if they could see maybe if his truck was broken down on the side of the road. So the police assured Mary Lou that they were going to put out a bolo or what's known as a be on the lookout report to all the local police departments between Kingman, Arizona and Kansas, alerting the police officers to keep an eye out for Devin's semi-truck. At this point, they just thought Devin probably either A, had an accident or B, was somewhere along probably Highway 40, that's what I'm assuming, Interstate 40, and he probably was broken down. I mean, wouldn't you think that too? That's what I would be thinking. Yeah. So the police assured Mary Lou that they were going to do everything they possibly could, but more than likely, it just, you know, it's not a big deal. He's probably fine. So a few hours after they went ahead and issued the Bolo alert, um, it went out to all the police departments along that route, and the Cochino County Police Department in Arizona, now this was located about 200 miles from Kingman, Arizona, they wound up calling the America's Police Department. The Cochina Police Department told the America's Police Department in Kansas that they had towed Devin's semi-truck and it was in their police impound lot. Now, while they had no clue where the truck driver Devin was, they definitely knew where his semi-truck was. This was a highly unusual phone call because why would a police department that's 200 miles away from Kingman, Arizona, which was the last place that we knew where Devin was, be calling and saying that they have his semi-truck impounded in their lot? So it was very unusual. But this is where this true story takes a really weird and kind of eerie turn. See, on Sunday morning, a couple named Lynn and Jack Yarrington were camping out in the woods at the Tonto National Forest. This is located in Cocachino County in Arizona. So it was really, really early in the morning. As they were laying in their tent, they started to feel the ground beneath them begin to rumble and shake. Now I'm visualizing this. I'm in a tiny, tiny tent it's sunday morning you probably don't want to get out of bed yet and all of a sudden you start feeling the ground beneath you rumbling and shaking i don't know about you that would scare the crap out of me i would just think it was an earthquake oh yeah i never would have thought that and absolutely I, I would enjoy the ride well yeah because you're from california you're used to earthquakes <laughs> so the ground began to rumble underneath them and then off in the distance they could hear a really loud rumble of something that was getting louder and louder and closer to the tent not sure exactly what the noise was or where it was coming from, the couple unzipped their tent and all of a sudden they saw this huge cloud of dust and smoke that was coming from the roadway. As it was getting bigger and bigger and louder and louder, they began to wonder what the heck is that that's coming towards their tent. Then they saw it. It was a semi-truck barreling down the road and it whipped right past their tent. 
Now, what makes this scene even weirder is that this semi-truck was traveling down a dirt road that was mainly only used for all-terrain vehicles or pickup trucks. And it was the only roadway that people had to get to the campground. So this was not a paved road, certainly not a road that a semi-truck should have been going down. And why a semi-truck was in a national forest in the first place is beyond me. Yeah, that's kind of wild. Could you imagine driving our semi-truck down a dirt road in a national forest? No. No. Although that would be pretty cool. <laughs> okay. So this was not a well-traveled or paved road and was certainly not a road that a semi-truck should have been traveling on. So this was a super weird sight for this, this young hiking couple. So like most people, they thought, well, maybe the truck driver had gotten lost. So the large semi-truck scared the campers and obviously they, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. But what made this situation even weirder is a few minutes later, it seemed that that semi-truck had gone down the road turned around and now is barreling back towards their tent again so they're like what the heck i would think how did he turn around exactly that was my first thought process too it's a paved dirt road how did he have enough room to turn around it was a paved dirt road or not paved sorry it was a dirt road and he had a trailer so it was a semi-truck and trailer so how in the world did he make that turn it's a damn good driver <laughs> maybe so Okay, so he they hear him coming down the road again, and he's getting ready to pass their truck again, or pass their tent again. But what makes this situation even weirder and so hard to comprehend is that the Forest Preserve was almost 20 miles from the nearest national highway. So there really was no reason for a semi-truck to be out in that area. It wasn't even close to a truck route. Semi-trucks were not known to travel out there because, to be honest, the roads were not designed for semi-trucks. And there really was nothing out that way that a semi-truck would need. There was no truck stops, no businesses, and no restaurants out in that area. So why Devin's truck was in a national forest truly was a mystery. But what was even weirder is why was he barreling down the road so close to hikers and campers on an early Sunday morning? I'm curious. Now, as the semi-truck was starting back in the original direction that he came from, the hikers Jack and Lynn saw that coming towards the truck was a family sedan. Seeing that the truck and the sedan were going towards each other and were possibly going to collide, and knowing that this was a narrow road, Jack and Lynn began waving their hands frantically above their heads. They were attempting to try to alert the truck driver to let him know that he was heading directly towards a sedan that they could see was filled with a family in it. Now the driver of the sedan did notice Jack and Lynn and slowed down, realizing, hey, there must be something going on here. These people are like frantically waving their hands. And so he began to slow down and wonder what the heck was going on. So finally, the driver of the sedan sees that the truck is barreling towards him, but the truck driver is not slowing down. He is not slowing his speed down at all. He's, he's going pretty fast. He's at a steady pace and he is barreling right towards the sedan. So the sedan puts it into reverse and he starts backing up because he's got his family to think about in that sedan. And he's like, what the hell is this truck driver doing coming straight at me? So he starts backing up his sedan and then all of a sudden he veers the truck or veers the sedan to the road or to the right really quick and winds up putting his sedan into a bunch of bushes to avoid being hit by this truck driver. I take the bushes over a truck any day. Yes. And the sad part about it was the truck driver blew right past him and never stopped, just kept on going. And the sedan was stuck in the bushes. 
So Jack and Lynn went over to check on the family that was in the sedan to make sure that they were okay. The driver of the sedan got out, and of course, he is just shooken up, like, what the heck just happened? The semi-truck was barreling towards me. Oh, my God, me and my family almost died. He said that he got a really good look at the truck driver, and it was like the driver was tightly gripping the steering wheel and not even paying attention to the fact that he almost ran this innocent family off the roadway. A few hours later, a family had been hiking together in the forest of the Tonto National Forest when they came out into what looked like a beautiful meadow with a small pond in it. The meadow was gorgeous, but something seemed completely out of place. Now, what seemed completely out of place was that in the middle of this meadow was a large semi-truck and trailer. So now we figured out where our semi-truck and trailer went to. So it went from terrorizing hikers and campers to now it's in this meadow. The father of the family began to survey the surroundings and he looked around. There was no roads anywhere around. He could not figure out how in the world this truck driver managed to get not only his truck, but his trailer in the middle of this meadow. Now, next to the truck, he did see a truck driver was standing out in the field next to his truck. He was just like walking back and forth. And at first, I think the father thought he's probably looking at the situation like, oh, God, what did I get myself into? And but what he couldn't understand was there was no road. How did the truck driver get himself in this situation? So the father decided, well, maybe the truck got broken down or maybe the trucker got lost. But the father decided that he was going to go up to the truck driver and approach him to see if there was anything he could do to help offer some assistance to the truck driver. So once the father got a little bit closer to the semi-truck, that's when he noticed that indeed the semi-truck was fully stuck in a bunch of mud. His tires weren't going anywhere. So he yelled to the truck driver, hey, do you want us to go back and call to help get you some help? But the truck driver never turned around. He never even acknowledged that the father was even speaking to him. He just kept looking directly at his truck. So the father ventured just a little bit closer to the trucker thinking, well, maybe he didn't hear me. So he tried to call out to the trucker again. And he's like, hey, do you need us to go up to the ranger station and call to help get you some help? That's when the truck, truck driver finally turned around and he just stared at the father. The father said it was like the creepiest thing in the whole world. He had really dark eyes and he was just staring at him. It was like a stare down between the two of them. And then what makes the situation even worse, the truck driver didn't say a word. He just kept staring at him. But then he started like chattering his teeth and moving his jaw back and forth. It was like he was possessed. Yes. I mean, would that not creep you out? That would. He's trying to offer this truck driver some help. And the truck driver who, by the way, he's a very tall man who wears a cowboy hat. And he's got a mustache. I mean, he's an intimidating looking man. And this is a guy that just almost killed him. Yeah. So he's just sitting there. And then finally, the truck driver looks at him. And the only thing that he says is, I didn't do it. They did it. And the father's like, what the heck? Okay, this guy's creeping me out. So the father turned around and he left. He's like, I, I got to get my family out of here. This does not feel right. So the father went back to the campgrounds with his family and he wound up calling the Cocachino Police Department to report that there was a semi-truck that was stuck in the mud in the middle of this meadow and the truck driver was being really weird and unresponsive. And in his personal opinion, he felt that the truck driver might have been under the influence of something. So a few hours later, the local police department did wander out to the woods, and sure enough, sitting in the meadow was that same semi-truck. 
But as the police officer got out and wandered around the truck and looked at the abandoned truck, there was no truck driver around or near the truck anywhere. There was nothing wrong with the truck that he could see other than the truck was stuck in the mud. So not knowing what the hell to do, the policeman then went ahead and had it towed to the local impound yard. Now, when the police officer got back to the police station, he started running all the information that he had gotten off the truck, like the DOT number and who the trucking company was that owned the truck. And so he began inputting all this information into his computer and trying to figure out who owned it, and nothing really came up. It wasn't until Monday, after that Bolo had been put out, that the Cocuccino Police Department started putting two and two together and realized that the Bolo that had been put out on that semi-truck was the same semi-truck that they had picked up the day before at the Tonto National Forest. So they wound up calling the America's Police Department to tell them, hey, I know where your semi-truck is, but I have no clue as to where the truck driver was who was driving that truck. So when the police and the Cocuccino police decided to go back and talk to the hikers that saw the semi-truck and witnessed everything that happened, they showed him the driver's license photo of the truck driver who should have been the driver that was driving that truck. All the hikers that were involved in the incident and the campers identified Devin as the man who was recklessly driving that semi-truck through the Tonto National Forest. Okay, so now we know where Devin's been. He was the one that was behind the wheel of the semi-truck. Do you understand why he would do that? I mean, it makes no sense to me. It makes no sense to me. Just Except that he was possessed. <laughs> well, <it> is... <clears throat> the devil made him do it. <laughs> so this made absolutely no sense to anyone. Anyone who knew Devin knew that to everybody's knowledge, he didn't have any mental health issues in his past. He didn't have any known medical issues. So his family and friends were so clueless on why Devin would have been driving his semi-truck out there in the middle of a national forest. Not to mention, this was almost 200 miles off of his normal route that he would have taken to get to Kansas. It was not a truck-friendly route in any means, and it was not even close to the direction of where he should have been heading, which was Kansas City for his Monday delivery. So now Devin was a pretty big man. He was a very tall man. I believe he was six foot three, and he was a little bit of a stocky man. He had a handlebar mustache, brown hair, and he was always known for wearing a cowboy hat. So the reason I'm telling you this is this man was, you know, he's a pretty big man, and, and if you came across him, you might come across as kind of intimidating. So his family were trying to figure out what the heck could have happened to Devin, and one of the things they ruled out was there was no way they felt it was a kidnapping situation because of how big he was and how intimidating he was. So they kind of ruled that out from the beginning. They thought at first, well, maybe somebody tried to kidnap the truck and trailer and they put Devin up to this. But realizing how big of a gentleman that he was, they knew that that probably wasn't the case. So none of this made sense to ever, anyone. He wasn't mentally ill that anyone knew of. He was not physically sick. And he had a reputation of being a hardworking, dependable family man. Over the years, he had passed every drug test that he'd been given at his work. And his wife even said that he was not a man that was known to drink. So even though that father said that he thought maybe he was under the influence, it didn't seem that Devin had any history of being a drug abuser or alcohol user. Of course, we know that, you know, maybe somebody does do things in their past, but, you know, according to everything we could find and all the drug tests that he <coughs> took, he came up clean. So, 
uh, Jack and Lynn, who were the hikers, uh, the police went back again to interview them because they were so confused as to what were going on. So they went back to Jack and Lynn, the original hikers that were in that tent, and they were, you know, going over the situation. And they told the police, hey, we forgot to tell you, on that Monday morning after everything that happened, we saw that truck driver again. We saw that he was walking um, on the main road to get out of the Tonto National Park. So I guess Jack and Lynn had packed up their tent and all their belongings and they were getting ready to leave the Tonto National Forest to head home when on the main road they came across Devin again. This time he was walking down the main road that you take to get in and out of the National Tonto Park but he had no shoes on this time. And they're like, what is up with this guy? Now he's walking on the main road and he doesn't have any shoes on. But realizing that they recognized him from the day before as that truck driver, they pulled over and they asked him, listen, are you okay? Is there anything we can do for you? Should we call somebody to come help you? And he didn't answer him. He didn't talk to him or whatever. So they asked him again, hey, are you okay? And so Devin responded by reaching down and grabbing a big rock that was on the side of the road, and he threw the rock at their window. Wow. Yeah. He didn't say a word to him, just threw the rock at him. So Jack and Lynn had had enough of this guy, you know. This is two days now, this guy being weird. Now he just broke their window. So they took off. So they let the police know that the last known sighting that anybody had of Devin was that Monday morning where he was walking down the road with no shoes on. So, um, after having their second scary encounter with him, after he picked up the rock and broke their window, they decided to hightail it out of there. So the police and the National Park Police wound up searching for almost three weeks. They brought in canine dogs. They brought in helicopters. They had hikers climbing the forest. There was no sign of Devin anywhere. It wasn't until May 2nd of 1997. Now, this is almost two years after Devin first went missing. Some hikers were up in the hills, up in Tonto National Forest, and they were hiking. And from what I understand, the trail that they were on was very close to the meadow that the semi-truck had been seen in. And this is a very well-traveled um, hiking path. So over the last two years, there would have been a ton of hikers going back and forth on this path. But for whatever reason, these two hikers saw, saw something kind of white and shiny off in the distance. So they got closer and they got closer. And as they got closer, they realized that what they were actually looking at was a human skull. No way. Yeah. And what's so crazy from what, what I understood is this was right on a well-traveled path. How did nobody see so this like skull? thousands of people walked yes! by that. And nobody saw this skull until two years later. So anyway, the Cocachino police, of course, went out there, grabbed the skull, and they sent it in for DNA processing. And would you believe it or not, it was the skull of Devin Williams. Wow. So we really don't know what happened to Devin Williams. A lot of theories have been put out there. I mean, I have heard theories as weird as he was possessed and taken by aliens. Swear to God, there was a couple articles about that. I thought you would find that humorous. I like that idea. <laughs> but the general feeling that everybody had was that he was super sleep deprived. We knew that. His wife knew that. His boss knew that. So we were wondering if maybe his sleep deprivation that he'd had over the last couple of weeks. And we know that insomnia can do crazy things to you. Maybe it affected his mental health. And maybe that excuses why he did what he did in that national forest. And then they're wondering if contemplating that with the fact that he hadn't slept all weekend maybe he got lost in the national forest and died just by the element in nature's 
but they were never able to discover because all they found was his skull why he died or what was the cause of his death. I think he broke the wrong person's window. <laughs> no, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, I hope Jack and Lynn didn't kill him. That would be awful. <laughs> no, not them. Oh. Like he broke somebody, somebody else's, else's window. Ah, uh, gotcha. So it's a really sad story. I feel, honestly, I feel bad for Mary Lou and the kids. They never did get any concrete proof or, I mean, they got the concrete proof because they found the skull, but they never got the answers that they were seeking. And she said that they had a really good marriage. They had a really loving marriage. He was a, such a devoted father to his three kids. They were really looking forward to rebuilding this house that they just bought and make it into their dream home. And sadly, those three kids now lost a father and they have to live the rest of their lives with n not really having a concrete answer as to what happened to this poor truck driver. Yeah, that is sad for them. So, it's a super sad case. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad that we got to share. I'm glad that you've got to be on the show with me. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Yes. Now, next week, I already have next week's show done for you guys. Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm having a brain fart as to what it is. But I've already got it ready for you guys. I have it ready to go. Um, oh, I know what it was. Okay. <laughs> I just recorded it the other day. So, the show that I have for you guys next week is about a truck driver who... His DNA was run through a DNA genealogy website, which we know how popular those things are now. And it brought up the fact that he might be a serial killer. Ooh. Has he killed Captain Crunch? <laughs> so be sure that you guys come back next Saturday. I've already got the show recorded and ready for you guys, where we're going to find out how genealogy that has been used in so many crimes to help solve crimes was used recently to possibly link a truck driver to being a serial killer. So, sounds interesting to me. Absolutely. Be sure you guys give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to our podcast. It really helps us in the ratings. Please be sure also to share and let your friends know about our podcast because as a lot of you guys know, we are full-time truck drivers and doing this podcast does take a lot of time, work, and, and effort having to do all this research, but I love it. And you I'd do, like to do a lot of work on this. I do. And I'd like to continue if you guys like it. So anyway, as always, my roadies, be safe out there. We'll be back again next week with another great episode. Be safe out there, everybody. Welcome, my true crime roadies. I'm your host, Angela Baum, along with my husband, Larry. And this is Trucking True Crime Podcast a true crime show where we focus on true crime stories that happen within the trucking industry. But don't worry, you don't need to know anything about the trucking industry to listen and enjoy the show. You just need to be a fan of true crime. And if that's you, then welcome inside. As a reminder, if you'd like to learn more about our life over the road as team truck drivers, you can listen to our other podcast, Married to the Road where we share our lives over the road and stories along the way with our three furry dogs. As a reminder, our podcast discusses true crimes and murders. This is not a show for the faint of heart, and this is not intended for young audiences. Have you ever been interested about what all it takes to be a truck driver out here, delivering the goods all across America? Or more importantly, 
What is it like being a team trucker out here with your significant other 24 hours a day in a small confined space, working together, eating together, sleeping together, you name it. If you've ever been curious about the trucking industry, please listen to Larry and I's other podcast, Married to the Road. Again, that's Married, the number two, the road. Please be sure to give it a listen today and don't forget to hit that follow button. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies, for giving our podcast a listen. We really appreciate you listening to our Trucking True Crime podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to visit our Instagram page or our TikTok page, also Trucking True Crime Podcast. And don't forget that you can visit our Facebook page as well. Again, Trucking True Crime Podcast. Be sure to like, share, and follow, and be sure to share out our podcast to all your friends. We'll be back here next week with another great episode. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies. Be safe out there. Thank you.